Religion. Religion easily has the greatest bullshit story ever told. Think about it. Religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day. And the invisible man has a special list of 10 things he does not want you to do. And if you do any of these 10 things, he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time. But he loves you. Yeah, just remember that. He loves you. Thanks, George. I think he's <laughs> nailed it. Very sacrilegious, I suppose you would say, but very spot on in his description of things there. <laughs> yes, yes. And welcome back to the Shame Sham, huh, Dave? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're talking today, ladies and gentlemen, since the last episode where I sounded like I was talking in a bathroom with my reverb issue, <laughs> which I figured out, by the way, so hopefully you'll never have to suffer through that again. You can tell we're talking about the first principles and ordinances of the gospel, right? First one being faith. And now we're talking about the second one, which would be repentance. 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 So before we jump into it, we're going to talk, Dave, about a little bit of LDS Church in, in the news. The news. Yeah. <laughs> Take a breath. <laughs> Here it goes, everybody. LDS Church breaks ground for Orem Temple. Da, da, da. Wow. Another one. Here's the key, though. And I don't know how many of you had heard this or not. I had not heard it. But as you read through the article here, you discover something that I guess I should have known. It was news to me. No pun intended. Uh, we've got a little quote here. The ceremony was under the direction of presiding authority elder Craig C. Christensen, Utah area president. Quote, the Orem Utah Temple will become an added refuge of strength in an increasingly uncertain world, a holy place where we learn and live more fully. The great plan of Freemasonry, I mean, of happiness <laughs> made possible by our Savior, Jesus Christ, said Elder Christensen, according to a church news release. Because of current COVID-19 restrictions, arrangements have been made for a video recording of the groundbreaking blah, blah, blah. And you go on. It may not have an angel Moroni on top, but the new Orem Temple will be seen by thousands along Interstate 15. Ah, uh, what? Not have a angel Moroni on? Well, top? I got a little inside info on that. Yeah, he's going to be replaced with Donald Duck. Oh, Donald yeah. Duck. Huh. Just you know, lighten the mood a bit. Hmm. Not gold. Okay. Like the real <laughs> Disney colors, like the blue suit. <laughs> yes. With yeah, the- of course. <laughs> 
So it's a beautiful design, Brunst said. I don't know who Brunst is. Utah Valley something or other. Even though there is no Angel Moroni on top. So says the article editor writer here. Brunst and others on the city council were hoping for the iconic symbol of Moroni, a Book of Mormon prophet, to be on top like many other temples in the area and throughout the world. However, the newest temple designs have kept Moroni off. Hmm. It's another adjustment. Ah. Well, I wonder how Moroni feels, you know, slighted, perhaps. Yeah, it's uh, exactly. Yeah, I think he's not feeling too great about it. Uh, I think the church is giving in to the increasing criticisms, including why do you have a fucking Moroni on top of your temple instead of like Jesus? Like, do yeah. you worship Moroni? Like, what's this idol? Right, that that could stuff. be the next step that they'll start replacing the Moronis with, you know, some kind of figure again, Thorvaldson's Christus, perhaps <laughs> or a replica, of course. Yeah, I, I wouldn't doubt it. You yeah. know, I mean, these hmm. vain attempts to convince the rest of Christianity that we're the same as they are. Hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think so. It, the article ends with an interesting statistic, which I had wondered and didn't have a stat on, and they give it to you here. If you ever wondered how many Mormons there actually are in Utah, and we know it's different by city, so Salt Lake is much more 50-50 now. And I think the last stat I saw was even more non-LDS than LDS in Salt Lake, but then you have some cities that are almost 100%. So it says down here, there are currently more than 2.1 million Latter-day Saints in Utah, which is just under two-thirds of the state's population of nearly 3.2 million residents. Wow. That's higher than I thought. Yeah. Well, and then you have sure. to ask the age-old question, how many of those 2.1 million are active? Right. Half or less? I would say at least, yeah, definitely less. I, I definitely would say that. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Definitely. I'm getting into my Rain Man gig. <laughs> Shorts are on the highway. Yes. So, ladies and gentlemen, before we jump into the topic of the day, Dave, I don't know about you, but I would like a little bit more of, well, for your information. Okay, so we're going to start in 1941 with... Probably the most hilarious. <laughs> right off the bat. <laughs> it's an ongoing thing. So you'll recall previous statements about. Anyway, let me just read it. March 10th. First presidency orders Clayton Investment Company to get rid of its whorehouses. No matter. <laughs> get rid of its whorehouses, no matter the financial loss. So that church affiliated company can merge with the church owned Zion Security Corp. It ends 50 years of church's leases to brothels. Wow. <laughs> wow. I just, I, yeah, I know I said that. Whorehouses. I know I said wow. that the first time you shared the whole whorehouse thing owned by the church. And then I'm back to the same statement. Just wow. <laughs> I mean, would yeah. you even have imagined as an active church member if somebody brought that little stray fact up at some point 
that that could have ever been true. I mean, yeah. okay. Again, this is an update on it. So it's yeah. obviously what's happening yeah. because there's, you know, now I guess they're going to go away for good. Apparently we'll <laughs> find out in, in future here. June 8th, first counselor, Jay Rubin Clark tells annual conference of youth and their leaders. And I remember this. When I was a boy, it was preached from the stand, and my father and my mother repeated the principle to me time and time again. They said, Reuben, we had rather bury you than have you become unchaste. And this is the law of the church. And that kind of feeds right into part of our podcast today. It does. That it's better that you die than you know break a certain commandment. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Craziness. Mm. Let's jump into 1942. First counselor, J. Reuben Clark, tells a reporter for Look Magazine, our divorces are piling up. The last rate for temple divorce is almost 10 times higher than Utah's civil divorce rates a century earlier. <laughs> 10 times higher. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's, that's huge. Wow. That has to uh, make you wonder what the, like, what? Well, you're told to get married, get married in the temple, and there's very little advice to have a functioning marriage. Mm -hmm. We don't have those classes, or maybe we do now. I don't know, or did, or no, just because it's God's plan, all you have to do is get married in the temple and everything will work out. <laughs> Yeah, but 10 times higher. That's yeah. crazy, yeah. right? I don't think it's that high now, even. I think it's yeah, like... He, he actually includes all the stats uh, wow. beneath the statement. Oh, my so, God. Wow. Crazy. Okay. Okay. Here's an oddball thing. March 14th, First Presidency orders bulletproof glass. <laughs> to check this out. Bulletproof glass for the windows of its office to protect against an air attack. By Japanese, what the fuck is bulletproof glass gonna do to protect from an air attack? Oh I my god! I yeah, I guess. If, <laughs> I what guess the hell? If, <laughs> where, where's the logic? Uh, I guess if it wasn't bombs, I guess if they were strafing, right, with machine yeah, gun fire or something. But still, and, and a fifty cal won't go through the window. <laughs> of course not. Oh my god! Wow. You know what, okay. though, now that you said that, you know how the church hangs on to shit for a long time sometimes. I wonder if the glass is still bulletproof. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Probably so. Because God doesn't protect his servants. No. <laughs> a couple more. August 5th, First Presidency's financial secretary refers to the German-born Horst Scharf's President Heber J. Grant's bodyguard. Apparently, this is the first time since 1887 that the hierarchy has bodyguards. So they, I guess they dropped it. Joseph Smith, of course, had more than one. Yeah. And so 1887, I apparently they just figured, yeah, maybe God will keep us safe. And now we don't think he's going to anymore. So we, we need bulletproof <laughs> glass and bodyguards. Oh, and in case we do get hit by a bullet, here's another. August 8th, church section emphasizes the use of handkerchiefs to heal people at great distances. Oh, my God. 
Really? Well, and here's what they included a photograph of the silk handkerchief blessed and sent by President Lorenzo Snow to Elder Jensen to heal him in 1899. So oh just the picture God. of it was enough to inspire you. You get a phone call or I guess horse and buggy, whatever. Hey, Aunt Flo is sick. So you go out on your porch and wave your handkerchief. <laughs> I, <laughs> I guess. Or you mail it to her, I guess. Yeah, that's it. Bless that's it, it and mail it to her. I. That sounds very occult to me. Uh, yes, it, it sure does. Yeah. One more, and this again is a reiteration of something we did a whole podcast on. December 24th, Heber J. Grant signs recommends for 13 general authorities to receive their second anointing. Oh, here we go. Yeah. So it's still going on at that date, and we'll start 1943 next week. <laughs> yeah, I. It would be so interesting to have before and after interviews with those guys who got their second anointing, right? And, uh, and say, well, yeah, G Jesus was busy. Uh, <laughs> I, he didn't show up at mine, but again, I'm not worthy. That's, well, that's yeah, a problem. You know. Okay. Most of the time, that's the case, right? Like when you're in that session and you're expecting to see Jesus, and you you know you you hear a little, you know, it, it's because he just sunk the third or fourth hole, and he's still practicing with Dad, you know, for the, wow. for the heavenly tournament. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, that, okay, yeah. What a strange collection of stuff. No kidding. That's what I was just thinking. Kind of a eclectic. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I was going to say. And you think, you know, again, we're kind of bumping up to our day. We're, we're in the middle of the 40s now. Mm -hmm. You would think things would start getting a little more so-called normal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Evidently nope. not. Evidently not. Yeah. Crazy as always and love it as always. The whole For Your Information segment. Thank you, Mon Frere, for the You're share. That's even yeah, more rhyming. You. Check that out. Thank you, Mon Frere, for the share. Aww. Yeah. You got a yeah. pat in that. Yeah. You know, I when I say stuff like that, I do expect a little reaction from the audience. I mean, oh, yeah. thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, come on now. <laughs> all right. You guys are too generous. All right. All right. All right. Sit down. My goodness. Wow. Careful what you ask for, huh? All right. <laughs> Has your ego been stroked? Yeah. All I have to say to that is. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So back to more seriousness, if we can achieve that occasionally in our podcast here. Repentance, and I'm going to tie another concept directly to that, Dave, for our episode today. The concept of worthiness, because they are intricately tied, intrinsically tied, if you will. Let's start out with a few definitions here. I think you had, Dave, a Mormon LDS Bible right. Dictionary definition. It's the Bible Dictionary definition, which is quite interesting, and it will help to explain our response to this doctrine in the Mormon church. Repentance, the Greek word of which this is the translation, denotes a change of mind. 
a fresh view about God, about oneself, and about the world. Since we are born into conditions of mortality, repentance comes to mean a turning of the heart and the will to God and a renunciation of sin to which we are naturally inclined. Without this, there can be no progress in the things of the soul salvation for all accountable persons are stained by sin and must be cleansed in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Repentance is not optional for salvation. Well, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Born in sin, inclined towards sin, but thank God there's this way out. That's this way to cleanse ourselves. And yeah, yeah thanks for yeah. the out. Thanks. Yeah. So interestingly, here's dictionary.com's definition of repentance, which only focuses on one aspect. It's more narrow than the definition you just shared, even from the Bible dictionary, which I find interesting because you would normally expect the opposite, at least from what I've seen in the past. So repentance, dictionary.com here, deep sorrow, compunction, or contrition for a past sin, wrongdoing, or the like. Number two, regret for any past action. So it's really only focused on the regret, the sorrow, the compunction, the contrition aspect not turning away from it or, you know. Let's just keep going with that list because in our conversation yesterday, listeners, Michael and I came up with 15 or more synonyms or corollary, is that the right word? Corollary terms that explain this. Among them, shame, Mm -hmm. the title of our podcast, and guilt. Mm. So it's quite a long list to describe this feeling of well i guess i'm just a piece of shit yeah yeah Yeah. okay yeah big big focus in the church obviously second principle right of the church as far as the first principles and ordinances of the gospel go you have to have faith first and we, we talked a lot about that and then now that you've got faith you're unworthy that's the first thing you realize and we'll talk about worthiness so now it's time to repent. Let's get into a little bit of the cores of this doctrine in the church. But before we do that, Dave, I have to introduce a special guest. Oh. Yeah. I have the opportunity, as our listeners will recall, because of my ins, as it were, with the brethren, and I can't explain or, or reveal all the ways that I have these, yes. Remember, but it's secret, not it, sacred. I mean, wait. Wait, it, well, it's secretly sacred in my case. Oh. Yes, right. or sacredly secret. I, I always forget which comes first. Packer always reminds me. And so we have the situation where not only do I have a, a link into the brethren, but, well, some of them have been resurrected, and I, yep, yeah. And so Monson came to me the other day. Wow. Yeah. And he said, hey, Mike, now that I'm resurrected and I've had a lot of time to recollect here because I'm out of the limelight, right? I'm not in the leadership anymore. I'm just kind of hanging out in this apartment over here in Tijuana. Um, (laughs) I've been thinking about talks. Now that I've seen what's on the other side, 
as well. I've been thinking about talks that I would have liked to have given in mm. conference. So he had me sit down. I did a little audio effects for him to give him the feel, right, that he was back in the conference center or whatever. And so you'll hear that recognizable reverb, right, as he's talking. And he wanted to talk through some of it with me and see how I thought about it, right? Like, how would this go over? So this is one of the things he shared. And you guys tell me, you know, what you think about this. I remember not too long ago, I began to dive into the church history. There, I began to find things contrary to what was taught to me while growing up in primary. On one occasion, I read an account that struck me as odd. I brought this account to my dear bishop, and there I told him of my doubts. He looked at me, and with a twinkle in his eye, he said, Tommy, you must know, you must doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. I looked at him, and with a twinkle in my eye, I told him, Why, Bishop, that's complete bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh I said... <laughs> oh, that's fucking great. Yeah. Oh, Tommy. Tommy saw the light. He really did see the other side, and now yeah. he knows... Yeah. What the hell's really going on? Wow. Yeah. I told him, well, I laughed too a little bit, of course. And then I was like, Tommy, <laughs> as much as I think it's amazing that you've seen the light at this point, although it took after death, literally, right? To, in his case, I don't think that that talk would go over well <laughs> in conference. <laughs> I just have to. I have to let you know. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that was good. Yeah. Love it. Love it. So back to our <laughs> the core of our episode. So how does the LDS church look at this? So every church, if you do any kind of R word research at all, I know that we keep bringing up that terrible word. You find that all of Christianity, of course, has a general concept, at least, of repentance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then when you look into e the evangelical side of Christianity, so the, a lot of the Baptist churches and Episcopalian and Lutheran, Methodist, etc., but especially kind of in that Baptist realm, you see repentance spelled out as well. They do these little things that the LDS Church did, like the five R's of repentance. Does anybody remember that, right? Where I, I had flip charts on my mission, and I think you had probably something similar, Dave, where you would show like these five steps of repentance and there were the no, five. And real know. quick on yeah. that, yeah. there might be some listeners in our audience that are old enough to remember the rainbow discussions, which I used when I first left on my mission and they were colored rainbow. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. And each discussion had its own color and there mm -hmm. was an entire discussion on repentance. Yeah. And interestingly, it was brown it was the one <laughs> like non-color. <laughs> Didn't like, you this this is gonna be shitty for you guys. <laughs> so we, we made it brown. <laughs> That's too funny. Didn't you leave, Dave, right around that time period when they changed from the Mr. Brown? Just yes. speaking of brown. They had the yep. Mr. Brown discussions and they changed to the rainbows. I used the rainbows on my mission as well, just so you know. Wow. So they, they lasted okay. a while. 
And then now they've gone to just the t- preach my gospel thing or whatever. So, yeah, you're right. I remember that. There was a whole section of color, right? <laughs> I forgot it was brown. <laughs> Good memory on repentance. And so core teaching. So you can do some contrast and compare. The biggest difference, we're not going to get into the evangelical side of this too much today because we really want to focus on the Mormon church. You know, go figure. The title of our podcast (laughs) but there's some similarities right there's steps whatever a lot of the actual steps are named almost the same the difference you'll find in the mormon church versus all the other christian sects is this idea of the work involved and the personal guilt and responsibility associated with sin versus the concept of mercy from Jesus, right? And this will yes. be familiar to a lot of you guys as you understand, or maybe you even are in an evangelical church today or have been or whatever. The concept, and Mormons are very proud to proclaim this, and so are evangelicals on the opposite side against Mormons, right? Faith and works. You guys think you can work your way to heaven, you Mormons. And All you really have to do to quote-unquote repent, right, and to gain Jesus' grace is to essentially accept his gift, accept him as your Savior, accept the story of Jesus, that it's real, right? That, That, okay, I don't think this is fictional. He's really the Son of God. He's really, you know, my sovereign Lord. He's the Savior. I accept his gift. I accept his mission, I accept him, right? And then by so doing, you have expressed your willingness to take upon his name, Christianity, right? Be a Christian, and you're essentially forgiven at that point. You're saved, as the saying often is used, right? And that's how it's taught in the New Testament. That's exactly (laughs) how it's taught. That's right. But in the Mormon church, for instance, as an example, no other Christian churches have ordinances and covenants, not to the extent the Mormon church does. Mm-hmm. So that would qualify as these these works, these other things that have to be done. Sure, of course, you accept Jesus, whether you're a convert or born into the church at some point, you know, you submit to the ordinance of baptism. And that is the way of showing him, yes, I will follow your path. And then there's this, all these hoops, all these extra steps and they're absolutely necessary yeah, in that's the Mormon right. church. That's right. Yeah. And you get into the other principles and ordinances of the gospel, right, which we'll talk about, and all these ordinances, etc., to Dave's point. So you've got this concept of justice and mercy exists in the universe. There is this God, the Christian concept of the God, right? He is all just. There are laws in the universe that he has created to guide morality of mankind, etc. And you must obey these, including the old school, back to the days of the Ten Commandments stuff, right? And if you don't obey God's laws, you've broken the law. You've broken this law of, of the universe, right. whatever. And so, so it's, yeah. It's called a, a sin. That's a sin, And so going back, and I wish I had the reference in front of me, the word sin is a archery term, which literally means to miss the mark. Oh, that's cool. So what sin was intended to mean is, hey, I 
I'm on this path. I, I fucked up a little bit. I missed the mark. So mm. try again. Don't, mm. yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you haven't been banished from the presence of God because you are still practicing, trying to figure things out. You simply missed the mark. But no, that word in Mormon church has a big sting to it. Oh, big sting. We'll get into that because that's really the thrust of our complaint, <laughs> if you will, against the church. Yeah, so you've broken this. You now are guilty for a penalty, right? Like you you wouldn't now have to pay the price, so to speak. So think of it as like even a legal or you break a law, there's a penalty for that law. So in the Christian concept, being very high level here, Jesus comes to save the day, right? And all Christian churches would agree with this. He comes down to to die on the cross and be raised again and overcome the bonds of justice as well as death, right? Like he paid for everybody. Exactly. The demands of justice. He paid for everybody's law breaking, essentially. So he's like your biggest debtor, right? Like he paid, he's a millionaire, billionaire. He pays all the money for everybody breaking these laws. Now you don't have to pay if you just accept his gift that he paid for you. That's kind of like this general concept. However, Where the Mormons start staring in a different direction is this concept that is also mentioned in the Bible, right? Mercy cannot rob justice. In other words, Jesus gave the mercy for you so you could just accept it, but it can't rob justice. So there's some kind of price you're going to have to pay. And therein you start separating very distinctly between evangelical Christianity and Mormonism. So what again, the evangelicals saying, okay, well, my price is to accept Jesus. Back to your point, yeah. Dave, what the Bible says. Mormons, that's nah, not quite enough. <laughs> There's this process. You're indebted. Now let's analyze the fuck out of this sin that you did. And you've got Let, these let's steps. have you confess it at several levels. So that you can be utterly embarrassed about it. Yeah. Not only internally, but with your priesthood leaders, maybe as a child, your parents and on and on. The more that you're willing to confess, to expose your weakness, your inherent unworthiness, the greater the process is. I mean, you're, God is really happy with you now. Right, right. So you have that segues, I think, right into the the five R's of repentance, as the LDS Church used to call it. And I looked up their stuff lately on it, and they've kind of departed from that whole R list now. And you know, whatever they're going to different Adjust, lists, adjustments, oh. adjustments. Yes, but they were in general these five things, right? First of all, acknowledging the sin, so recognize being the first R, that I've sinned, I broke a law, okay. Remorse or regret is the second one, and we're going to focus on two of these in particular, including that that one, remorse, okay? that We're going to focus on that. Feel sorrow for the sin. You better feel guilty. You better feel shame that you broke one of God's laws. Well, again, even though God is all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present through the spirit somehow you have offended him yeah that's right. even though he knew that when he sent you down here you would fuck up right and left and he would have to send his son his favorite son even though god couldn't possibly have favorites <laughs> god 
Uh, yeah, there's a lot of problems here, folks. Yeah, yeah. So, yep, feel remorse. You better feel shitty about what you've done. Now to what David was talking about, to a part of that remorse, regret, whatever, confession. So request forgiveness is another R, right? So you have to ask God for forgiveness. And depending on the sin, there are certain sins that the Mormons tend to outline pretty distinctly in some cases. Sometimes it's kind of vague. But sometimes requesting forgiveness from God is not enough. You also have to request it from the church, from the person you sinned against, if it's a sin against another person, right, or a group of people. If it's a sin against the land, right, like you stole something, you would request forgiveness from the person you stole it from, right? So this whole thing. Then resolve to stop the sin, to turn away from it, to reform or to reject, to to use some other R words, right? And so these are the general concepts. Restitution is a big one at the end there. Restore the wrong that has been done. So not only do which, you confess Which in some it, cases is impossible. That's right. That's right. Like if you rape someone, you can't give them that. You can't unrape them. You can't unrape <laughs> them. You can't really, re- re- what's the verb of restitution? I don't know that there is a verb for restitution. Mm-hmm. You can't restitute? <laughs> no, I don't think it's, <laughs> I think it's just a noun. You can't restore what you've taken from that person, right? But if in it, as much as is possible, you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to give it. Okay, well, these are reasonable in a sensible working moral society, right? If you thought about those things, okay, yeah, those make sense, right? The difference is Mormon faith really focuses and drives home to a problematic degree two of those five steps. The first one is the remorse or regret, and the second one is the resolve to stop the sin or to forsake it. Okay, so right. let's talk about those two a little bit deeper. And, and again, yeah. you've already brought it up, comparing the church with just societal norm, the, the laws of justice. Mm-hmm. We have a justice system in this country and around the world. It's usually accepted, for instance, that killing someone's probably not a good thing <laughs> for, the, for the most part. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Can you restore a person's life? No. No. And so I don't want to get into Brigham Young and his <laughs> shenanigans, fucking blood atonement stuff, but yeah. he basically said, well, even Jesus couldn't pay for some sins because these people will have to have their own blood shed to pay for their sin, which is in direct opposition to the central teaching of the atonement. We've already gone over it, yeah. but that just gives you an idea. That the compare, In other words, as a person who's never been exposed to religion, let alone Christianity, I can pretty much figure out for myself what things are working and what aren't through experience and through observation of my fellow beings. I break this law, I end up paying a fine, pay a ticket. I I have to restore. I lose somebody's confidence. It's a hell of a lot of work to gain someone's trust back. Yeah. Yeah. And, and And you learn and you grow. You don't need a religion to show you this obvious successful way to pass through life yeah and we're gonna capstone our conversation on that at the end of the episode you know what are some of the replacements for this dysfunctional system 
of repentance that's taught in the church. And you've hit a lot of the good start points there, I think, already, right? This is not something that you need an organization or men who supposedly speak to God or something telling you what to do or how to feel or whatever. And so remorse and regret, a big, big, big deal in the church. And how it is this big deal at a root level, grassroots level, in my opinion, of course, it is tied directly in the church to this concept of worthiness. Worthiness is a very, very Mormonized doctrine in that church, as opposed to, again, other Christian churches that are around, right? So this concept of being worthy. So we read the definition of repentance in, you know, dictionary.com, whatever. Here's definition of worthy or worthiness, okay, according to the dictionary. Having adequate or great merit, character, or value. Number two, of commendable excellence or merit, deserving of something. You're worthy of such and such. Or if you're a worthy person, right, a person of eminent worth, merit, or position. And so they drive this repentance concept in parallel with worthiness. Why do you repent? To be worthy. Uh, It's step one, two, right? It's a one, two thing. You Mm -hmm. have to be worthy in the Mormon church to have certain blessings from God. You have to be worthy to have a certain calling. You have to be worthy to, you know, do this or that. So worthy to partake of the sacrament, worthy to go on a mission, worthy to give a priesthood blessing, worthy to receive a blessing. I mean, on and on and on and on. The big test, the litmus test for all happiness, blessings, and goodness in the church is worthiness. And Which how do you get is worthy? A statement about your value. I think you That's right. brought up the word value there. Yeah. And so if you take that in personally as I'm unworthy, my value has been diminished. That's damaging as hell. Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. So that's the shame factor. Right. So the most damaging tie between those two of the five steps is this vicious cycle, whether it be mental, physical, whatever, it's always mental, but whether it take on other forms in the church that you find yourself in as a member who wants to be worthy right? I want to be worthy. I want to obey the commandments. I want to be worthy in the eyes of God, worthy in the eyes of the church, you know, worthy not only to the leaders, but to my fellow members. And so you find yourself quickly, especially as an adult, and you start internalizing things more in this vicious cycle of, on the one hand, always experiencing this remorse, this guilt, this shame that's part of repenting. And the inability. By the way, you said the word always. Yeah, it's ever present because no one, ever, no one is ever completely worthy. It's made impossible by the demands themselves. That's right. It's it's really an oxymoronic request or a, a huge dichotomy. So I'm feeling this guilt, this shame, this remorse because I can't do one of the other steps, which is to resolve to forsake the sin, to stop sinning. Because that's impossible for any mortal person to do. So here's that vicious circle. You know, I'm feeling guilt, remorse, shame. I need to stop such and such. I don't stop it. I sin. I feel guilt, remorse, shame. I don't stop it. I sin. 
spin, 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 right? Very damaging. In the best case scenario, you put a person through their entire life with that mindset and they are a person who never really achieved full self-esteem, full self-worth, full feeling of confidence that when I die, I know in the Mormon doctrine, whatever, that I'm going to go to the celestial kingdom and, and see Heavenly Father and everything's all good. I'm good. I'm worthy. You never quite get there. So that's never. the best case scenario. The worst case scenario, you pick. There's several ugly examples out there that we could talk about. How about I'm struggling with sexual temptation in the church. I, you know, I'm having sex with my girlfriend or I have same-sex attraction and I find that I'm gay or whatever. Well, I guess I'm such a piece of shit because I can't stop being me and I've been asked to stop being me. That's what a big thrust is here that we're talking about. Don't be your authentic self. I can't right. not be my, uh, my authentic self. So fuck it. I'm just going to take my life. Abdicate. Yeah, I'm going to abdicate. Just give in because it's so enormously damaging to have that will constantly spinning inside of you. Mental illness, depression, the shame, not able to raise your eyes up to God, maybe yeah. to some of your fellow beings. It's like just an inherent, like my shoulders are caving in. Yeah. I, the weight of this is so enormous and yeah okay that you, you could say that's extreme but it it's there yeah yeah and you know let's talk about some physical realities that surround the church right you have a church that has the highest prescription drug use of antidepressants of any other organization right so yeah. why would that be why would people be so depressed when compared to the rest of society, just talking about averages, right? Uh, gee, I don't know, because they're never good enough. What happens when you don't have any self-acceptance? Right. You start to experience clinical depression. What's the yeah. extreme results of some depression? Uh, taking your life, self-harming, self-medication, you know, abuse of, of you name it, yourself, others, drugs. I mean... On and on and on, right? And so, not a healthy syndrome spinning out of this teaching. How dare an organization look an individual in the eyes and say, unless you do this, this, and this, which, by the way, is pretty much impossible, you're not worth as much to God, right? Yeah. What the fuck is that? Well, it it, it, it almost should be illegal because of the results that come out of it. It should be. It should be, bro. I completely agree with that. So that's just one byproduct we're seeing, this, this abuse of antidepressants. We're seeing suicide, especially in younger members of the church, especially in LGBT populations of the church. You name it, man. Not good stuff. There are no good results that we're seeing coming out of this teaching of feel like shit, that's part of repentance, and your worth is questioned constantly. And by the way, there's an easy way out of this. Just stop being yourself. Stop being natural. Stop being your true self. Stop being your authentic you. 
be something unnatural, be something that no one was born to be, which is able to follow all these rules and guidelines constantly without fail, right? Yeah. That's the easy way to just live with this and, and you'll be fine, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's not, no different than somebody showing you a set of obstacles, like an obstacle course mm -hmm. filled with booby traps yeah. and shit. Landmines. Hey, if you want <laughs> to live in heaven forever, which we, we're not going to describe that to you. Nobody knows what happens when you get there for sure. Yeah. You've got to make it through. So, yeah. Hey, yeah. Good luck. So they, it's it's a setup, man. Yeah, it's a complete <laughs> setup for failure. And, and, you know, here's some little tidbits. There's so many, 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 many talks about repentance and worthiness in the church because it is, again, one of the most harped on items of the entire activity in the church here. So rather than try to piece together hundreds of little audio clips, I just pulled up the first page of LDS.org here. I'm going to keep calling it that. Because <laughs> you get auto redirect. I'll, I'll stop calling it that when they stop redirecting me to churchofjesuschrist.org. <laughs> there you go. So here's just some headlines, guys, on talks of repentance. Okay, some little one-liners here. Repentance is a rescuing, not a dour doctrine. It is available to the growth center as well as to the already good individual striving for incremental improvement. What a way to underplay that. Uh, repentance is the Lord's regimen for spiritual growth. Here's a good one. King Benjamin explained that the natural man is an enemy to God and has been yeah. from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever. That's a great thought. I'm an enemy to God in my natural well, state. created me. That yeah. way. And he created in me that way. Condition, I came into a world of sin, in sin. Yeah. And all I can do is seem to sin. And God set me up to fail. What a loving God. I love that. Repentance brings happiness. Too often we think of repentance as something miserable and depressing. I don't know, maybe because evidence shows that it is. But God's plan is the plan of happiness, not the plan of misery. Really? Show me yeah. how, motherfucker. Repentance is a divine gift, and there should be a smile on our faces when we speak of it. Ah, yeah, I love that. Smile. I Repent mean, just, just, just complete, just go oh, off. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Repentance. That's, that's oh, yeah, I love it. Repentance means more than giving up our sins. In its broadest meaning, it requires change, giving up all of our traditions that are contrary to the commandments of God. This is a hoax one. I have to drop the name here on this one because we love hoax so much. So in other words, hoax is a big fan, and we know this from his stance on homosexuality as well as the other Packer-esque doctrines. <laughs> He's a big fan of denying yourself. You're not really you. You're not really your authentic self. You're supposed to be this angelic entity that is different. Yep. Okay. Okay. Repentance is a blessing to all of us. This is the gaslighting and mindfuckery. You know, we each need to feel the Savior's arms of mercy through the forgiveness of our sins. Repentance is the key to avoiding misery. <laughs> Whoops. Just take that statement and invert it. That's Rusty Nell. Yeah. yeah Repentance surprised. is his plan, knowing that we will. This is the gospel of repentance. 
Every day is a new opportunity to remember our Savior and follow his example, because that's so easy to do. It's so funny, guys, the dichotomy. The Savior's example is used a lot as an instigator for repentance and worthiness in the church. And yet, what are you taught in the church was the Savior. He was the only perfect man who's ever lived. So just be like him. Yeah. Just be perfect. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. We tied it to worthiness, didn't we? Worthiness is a process, and perfection is an eternal trek. So you never quite get there in this life. We've talked about that a hundred times. That presupposes the fact that you were born Mm -hmm. unworthy. You haven't even done anything yet. Yeah. You haven't even taken your first (laughs) shit. (laughs) You're already unworthy. Yeah, yeah, you're unworthy. Speaking of original sin, yeah, the LDS Church gets all sorts of fun and spin factor out of that. It's not just the idea of the original sin based on whatever church you believe in, taking the fruit or having sex, whatever you want to call the original sin. It's everything. You're, You're born a piece of utter fucking shit. No, the Mormon church doesn't say if you die as a baby, you're going to hell because you weren't baptized or christened. (laughs) thankfully right but you're still like you said david just yeah you're you're natural man you're a piece of shit here's a nice lie listen to this one let me point out the need to differentiate between two critical words worth and worthiness Uh, so they don't believe in the dictionary and again we're redefining words one is the same as the other people it is exactly the same in the mormon church i'm not talking about the colloquial use of the term Mm -hmm. we got a lot from lizard man on worthiness because lizard man is the epitome of worthiness remember so mr bednar oh exactly (laughs) mr bednar personal worthiness is the single most important requirement for receiving blessings of the temple for you young men and for all members of the church yes no pressure Another lizard man, worthiness and willingness, not experience, expertise, or education are the qualifications for priesthood ordination. Sincere desire and worthiness invite the spirit of revelation into our lives. So this Mm -hmm. sets you up again, and we've talked about this a million times, for personal failure in the church. Because why didn't you get the blessing? Why didn't God answer your prayers? Why didn't this happen? Why aren't you happy? Because of you. Of course. Worthiness. If you just yeah. obeyed a little more. Don't you, you realize that it's okay that you feel like shit completely and shame and guilt? Because that's going to motivate you, of course, to do something you so far haven't been able to do. Yeah. And you'll okay. never you'll never be <laughs> able to do it, by the way. Guys, we could go on forever on this topic. It's so complex. You know, just a couple final thoughts before we spin up here, Dave, because I do want to talk about our R words, a couple that we would recommend replacing in this process. Think about the bad policy, the bad doctrine, the bad philosophy, the bad advice that's been given over the pulpit through the years by these men who are not psychiatrists, not professional therapists. And they're going to tell you how it all works Mm. because they somehow know that through God or something. So Even though they've not been able to do it either. No, none of them. None of those fuckers is worthy in the definition of the church. Not a single fucking one of them. So this is one of my favorites if you talk about bad therapy, bad philosophy, right? So you'll recall, David, 
a talk. I, I'm pretty sure it was given by Packer because he's one of the worst offenders or was. Thank God he's not gracing this planet anymore. <laughs> so, hey, you're having trouble with this sin. You have a sexual thought, you know, whatever. It was mostly to the young men, right? Like teaching them how they could not be natural and normal humans. Just think of a church hymn. Remember that? Just sing a uh, church oh, hymn yeah. to yeah. yourself. Guess what a professional therapist will tell you? That is a, a fallacy of disassociation or association, which however you want. In other words, now, whenever you sing a hymn, you'll think of porn or you'll think of that chick or you'll think of sex, yeah. right? It's the exact wrong type of advice to give someone if they want to overcome a certain habit. And here it is well, from sure. the pulpit. A young man who, yeah. who, like all normal young men, masturbates. Yep is sitting there constantly thinking, I've got to quit masturbating. I've got to quit masturbating. I've got to quit. And What's then, thinking about Then when you say, uh, supplant the song, <laughs> Jesus wants me for a sunbeam, then every time he hears that, he'll want to masturbate, is what happens with that advice, right? It's fucked up. It's not even sound advice, right? This is just one of many things, right, that's happening in the church with this. Well, you can't stop this thing. This is how you stop the unstoppable. Just think of a scripture song right. and fuck yourself up even more. Oh, my God. Yeah, you can and tell also, I have a lot to say just about real this. Real quickly, you get to go to church with your fellow ward and branch mm -hmm. members. Yeah. And every one of you inside, knowing that you're unworthy, but putting on the facade of worthiness and that takes in you know the way that you dress the way that you show up and there's an unspoken facade going on that hey we're all worthy right oh wait a minute brother so-and-so is not taking the sacrament oh, oh my god yeah gonna, it just goes on and on yeah i oh. mean we, we, we were talking earlier about this whole facet of the facade as you pointed out right and when you create this impossible conundrum of disaster with repentance and worthiness in the church, it's a facade that people could do that, right? It's just, I think we realize that. It's a facade that you could ever be worthy completely, right? It's just impossible, right? So you start with that facade mindset, and then it ends, ends up creating these other facades. So you just mentioned yeah. one, right? We're all in church. We're all not a hair's out of place. The man's wearing a white shirt, mind you, and a suit, and the wife is in this nice pressed dress that goes far below her knees. And here's all the six children on the row, and they all have their mini suits and mini dresses. And there's this facade that the Nelson family is all holy and pure and worthy. And then he goes home and beats his wife and she goes home and she's a meth addict. And, you know, it's, it's like, guys, who are we fooling here? Well, right. it is self-deception. If not, you know, deceiving one another, it's definitely and primarily the most harmful part of it is the self-deception. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, you know, Halfway through sacrament, it starts hitting the wife again, and she pops a little antidepressant, right? I mean, guys, this is the reality of the church versus the facade of the external covering, right? And wherever you go, in the temple, in the fucking celestial room, right? You've been through the ceremony. You're all, hush, we're in the celestial room now. Wow, look around. Everybody here is worthy. They have to be. Are you kidding me? way they could have lied to their bishop nobody in that room is worthy according to the definition of the church right so 
Oh my God, people, right? Let's just all live in this gaslighting, self-deception reality where that's even possible. What else can you say? Oh my God, that's man. It. You know this is- So a, let's move on to, to share some uh, R word advice. Yes, here's some, yes. Yeah. How, how you can approach life a little bit differently. Yes. Go for it, Dave. I've been on a soapbox for the last like hour. Well, so why don't you share? Okay. I'll share the R word you don't share. We talked about a couple of them. Okay. Well, <laughs> responsibility, people. Yes. You are 100% responsible for your own life. When someone takes away your ability to make decisions for yourself that dictates what the consequences of a certain so-called wrong decisions are, you've been disempowered. Take back your life. You are 100% responsible for everything going on. Even if it's things others are doing, you're responsible for your reaction to what that is. And so, yeah, that's it. It's that simple. Live a responsible life. There's no need for a religion to tell you that that's a, a successful way to pass through life. Yeah, take one example, a common example of that, right? Taught to the youth of the church, be chaste, or as Reuben Clark said that you shared, right? Like, I'd rather see my son die than not be chaste. What a loving mom who's been completely mind-fucked by this organization. Thank you very much. How about a son that's responsible, right? So talking about sexual activity for a moment, any reasonable person, we're not talking about somebody who has mental challenges, right, with making right and wrong decisions. We're talking about a reasonable, logical person who doesn't have maybe a, an advanced mental disease, right, that gets in the way, which I understand that exists. So let's just take that as a base level. I wonder if promiscuity, right, so just having sex with everything that breathes and lives around me is a good choice. Probably not. I wonder if I was responsible in my sexual behavior, if that would be a good thing. Probably, right? So what if we taught the kids to be responsible people instead of perfect people? Hmm, What if some of the classes that were available at church were classes on behaviors that produce satisfactory effects, how to have a sexually safe... uh, Explore your sexuality. ...marriage that say something more than get married in the temple and that's it and everything will be fine. How about some counseling? How about... Well, there are some of those in the church, but they don't seem to be holding the leadership positions. (laughs) (laughs) No, back to your point on the sexual thing, right? Explore your sexuality safely and responsibly. What if that was the message? Safely and responsibly, those two things. Well, if I'm going to have sex, I probably should not have it with every living being. And I should probably be responsible and safe, right? And use some protection and be thoughtful. Maybe that would produce different results than, by the way, don't be a sexual person. In other words, don't be human. At all. So, yeah, right? So again, you're married and then you don't know the first fucking thing about what's going on. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And then you have to deal with issues of why aren't we sexually satisfied in our marriage? And neither of you have the answer to that. Right. Uh, Yeah. It's interesting. So responsibility and talking about being safe and responsible, we can learn what works and what doesn't from our own experience. And this leads to another R word here in a second. 
We can also learn what works and what doesn't from other people's experience. And where do you find things like that recorded sometimes? I don't know, history, science, experiments and results, you know, studies. I mean, not all these things are factual and not all of them are based in logical, you know, approved methods. But guess what you discover when you start researching? I know. <laughs> That's one of the R words that we bring up. And imagine combining research with responsible behavior. Oh my wow. God, you've got a dangerous combination there. Yeah, you'll probably have a very fulfilling life. Imagine God that. Imagine that. And yeah, God does forbid it, right? Unless you do it his way. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I feel like I soapboxed a little too much in this episode, guys. Sorry about that. You can tell I'm a little passionate about this topic. I'm a little upset about the damage that it's doing to people. And you'll understand, I think nobody could listen to our episode, Dave, and, and think back and say, ah, those Mormon talk guys are just like, go fuck the world and dive off cliffs and... <laughs> we didn't leave the church so we could sin, right? There's a difference between mind-fucking people and telling them to not be true to themselves and just saying, be responsible and safe. There it is. I think there's a difference there. Take back your own life, and perhaps you have. I can't help but wonder what percentage of people that leave the church leave it solely because the demands are so impossible instead of letting it go full course to where they're ready to commit suicide yeah they they just say fuck it i'm leaving this is not working yeah it's got to be a f fairly high percentage yeah and what works for you now right where are you with that and that's not an easy question to answer especially when you have freshly you know left right your whole paradigm back to that point has been taken away I thought this was the truth of the universe. Oh my God, it's not. And it's also destroying me. So good for you if you're one of those people that one of the reasons at least that you left is what David just said. This is not working, man. I am not happy. This is depressing. Good for you to get the, the fuck away from that. We extend the invitation to those who may be teetering about that decision that's 100% your decision and your responsibility. We could never make it for anyone else like they do for you in the church. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, you get to own that choice. You get to own your own choices and you get to make the best choices for you. How about that? All right. I like that. Man, I feel for the listeners who this has been resonating with, who have experienced the damage that we're talking about there's better life out there guys there's light at the end of that tunnel as they say and it's beautiful it really is <laughs> and the ironic thing is once you leave mormonism you may become closer to what a functioning christian should be <laughs> just so, someone who just lives a good life and as the uh, dalai lama would say my religion is kindness ah i love it Yep. I love it. We'll end on that awesome note. Yes. The religion of kindness. Thanks, Dave. Love you guys. Love you. Bye. <laughs>